First of all, I think that's an unfortunate characterization of gifted kids based on a stereotype. It's tragic that in our society today, in this country, Sheldon Cooper is the poster child for giftedness because he reinforces the cultural notion of gifted as nerd, that gifted kids are geeky and hermits and withdrawn, that four-eyed, 98-pound weakling that gets sand kicked in his face at the beach by the (laughs) big bully, that's who the gifted are. And we pay attention to those who reinforce the stereotype for us, and we disregard as being gifted those who don't fit that stereotype. Hello and welcome to NCAGT's first ever podcast. We're your host, Hannah Park. And Catherine Caldwell. As educators, we feel it's our responsibility to reach all students that walk through our door. However, we've realized that every year there are children in our classroom that we feel are put on the back burner because we lack the resources, knowledge, and support to provide for them everything that they need and rightfully deserve. Often these learners are eventually referred to as being gifted, but the problem with that is there's no universal definition of what it means to be gifted, which leads to a whole lot of confusion and a whole lot of inconsistencies. So knowing that we're not the only educators who feel this way, we've decided to work in tandem with NCAGT to interview entrepreneurs, community leaders, stakeholders, and experts throughout the field of gifted education to uncover the truth about what it truly means to be gifted, spread awareness, and hopefully be an instrument of change. This podcast is for anyone who is seeking to learn more about gifted education, parents, educators, and learners from all walks of life. Our organization is committed to being an instrument of change. Today, we sit down with Dr. Richard D. Courtright. Dr. Courtright is a lifelong educator with 50 years of experience in pre-K through 12 public education and consulting. Rick has been an elementary and middle school classroom teacher, gifted resource teacher, and the district's gifted program administrator for the Chapel Hill Cabarro City Schools and the Winston-Salem Forsyth County Schools in North Carolina. Rick formerly held positions as a gifted education research specialist for the Duke University Talent Identification Program. He has been a lecturing fellow in the Duke University Program in Education, and he has worked as an adjunct assistant professor in the School of Education at Elon University. Rick has served multiple terms of office on the board of directors for our organization, NCAGT, the North Carolina Association for the Gifted and Talented, and he was even awarded with the Distinguished Service Award for Lifetime Achievement in 2015. Currently, Rick is retired. However, he is still serving as a board member here with us at NCAGT, and he is one of the many masterminds behind our annual conference. You are in for an absolute treat. He is a wealth of knowledge, and we hope you enjoy. Hey, Rick, welcome. How are you doing today? I cannot complain. I'm 
I'm retired and all the stuff I do, I do because I want to, not because I have to, but it's been interesting. It's been an interesting week in the last eight days I've done four presentations. So it's wow. busy. And so do you, when you do this, are you just donating your time? It depends. Um, okay. The virtual for Missouri was, um, was for free because it was virtual. If okay. they were having a live conference, but, but let me just say that one of the things that was true for um, my mentor, Jim Gallagher, was if there was something going on in North Carolina that he could contribute to or participate in, that he would do it for free. And, and I feel the same way. I mean, if it's, if it's way at the extremes of the state, gas money might be nice, but I, I believe in paying it forward. So any district that is interested, I'm you know, delighted to help out and present, talk to parents or teachers. That's very, very awesome. We need more people that are willing to do that. (laughs) So you're a fellow teacher and you have 50 years of experience in education. (laughs) That is so incredible and amazing. I feel like I always get asked this question. So I like to ask other people, what inspired you to become a teacher or an educator? Um, Boy, that's a tough one because I always knew I wanted to be a teacher after I ruled out the possibility of being a a jet fighter pilot because of my vision. I couldn't do that. And because of um, at one point being interested in becoming a priest, but figured out what celibacy really meant. (laughs) Um, And so the next vocation was teaching. And so from the time I was in high school into college, I was planning on becoming a teacher. Definitely. I feel like a lot of us have that. We just know, like we've known that that's what we're supposed to do. Yes. I'm also very proud of the fact that I joke with many, many of my long-term friends who are teachers about it being genetic because often there were were kids of parents who were teachers or our kids go into teaching. And my daughter is teaching gifted in Charlotte right now. So um, it, it goes with the territory, I think. Yes, it runs and runs through the blood. (laughs) That's right. Definitely. Um, So you have, I feel like you have had the opportunity to do a lot of different things throughout your life, you know, gifted education, research specialist, a lecturing fellow, adjunct assistant professor, so many different experience and, and different roles. Was all of these courses that you taught focused on gifted learners? All of those that I taught in a formal sense at um, university level and in most conferences was in the context of gifted education. I got into gifted ed fairly early. I'd been teaching for six years. Um, My principal came to me in the spring of that year and said that our GT teacher was pregnant. I said I had nothing to do with that. (laughs) and she said that they had talked and decided while she was out on maternity leave the teacher thought I would be a good substitute for her and it working with those kids in that setting I had had gifted and talented kids in my classes those previous years but that just cemented this was the population I wanted to know more about and work with and study about so if someone were to ask you what it means to be gifted what would you tell them um, it would depend on the context. When I'm talking with someone who is strictly a parent as opposed to being part of the education profession, my first answer is gifted kids tend to be 
not different from other kids, but they're different from other kids of the same age. Your child being gifted suggests that they like to play with older kids, that they like to read books that are geared more towards older kids. They get the jokes that the adults tell in the room that their age mates don't get. They're able to reason, problem solve. They've typically got to have a broader vocabulary when compared to kids of their same age. Beautiful. I love that. But in general, for professional and parent reasons, I really like um, I like the definition that was crafted by Anna Marie Roper. Um, she was a teacher of gifted kids. She opened a school for gifted kids and ran it for a number of years. And the school newsletter has become one of the prime journals for research in gifted education. And she said, giftedness is a greater awareness, a greater sensitivity, and a greater ability to understand and transform perceptions into intellectual and emotional experiences. And that this is a definition that I recognize as a former administrator doesn't lend itself at all to selecting children for a program and say some are in or some are out. But I think when you just think about kids in general, Anna Marie got it absolutely right. These kids, it's, they have this greater capacity that sometimes is, is mind boggling. And that's what calls them to our attention. And finding those kids, it, it, it isn't, they're not always apparent, but these characteristics are always there. Sometimes they're beneath the surface. Um, and then the other one was, how, how do I help them understand what giftedness is? And that is in the context of education for me. It's, it's, that's, that's my domain. But the idea is that in that situation, you have kids who are placed in a classroom setting because they're born within 12 months of the other kids of the class. And a standard course of study is taught, much of which that gifted youngster already knows or knows how to do. And they have to wait for much of the year before something comes along that is new to them. These are students who need an opportunity, as we used to say in North Carolina, to get a year's worth of growth for a year in school. And that requires something different because the standards just don't enable them to grow and develop. So the the notion of gifted as far as what it involves in an education setting, it's providing a different course of study so that those kids can continue to grow and not just mark time for much of the year. Oh my goodness. You just said so many beautiful things. Um, (laughs) Yes. Her name is Anna Marie and her last name is R-O-E-P-E-R, Roper. I love how in her definition, she spoke to the, like the emotional, the social emotional piece, because so often in academic settings, that's just out the window. And you said, uh, you can't identify these students for a program with this. And that's just so true. I think that that is very problematic. And so many of these kids are sitting in a classroom that they're in because of their age. And when they do this year after year, they slowly begin to hate school and learning because they're not being challenged. And it's absolutely detrimental to their overall, I mean, honestly, their life, you know? 
Absolutely. I feel like that's what I'm thinking about is those kids that just feel like they're stifled, like they're not being pushed or challenged. And that's really sad. I was thinking about the tests that we take once a year to identify gifted students. Oh, the COGAT. The Because we're about to hit that point in the year where we take that. And I'm just thinking of kids who don't get identified because they're taking this test that might not show how they're gifted. And that's just, that's really sad. And then I think that's why we see a lot of behavior problems, but we're going to talk about that whenever we get into our myths (laughs) and our truths. All right. So let's get into the myths. We're going to present a myth to you and have you explain what the truth is behind that myth. Um, And just thinking about why these myths are harmful and why they're just so prevalent. Why do people continue to think these myths are true? So our first one that we have is the myth that gifted students tend to be socially shy and inept. What would you say about that? First of all, I think that's an unfortunate characterization of gifted kids based on a stereotype. The stereotype, it's tragic that in our society today, in this country, Sheldon Cooper is the poster child for giftedness because he reinforces the cultural notion of gifted as nerd, that gifted kids are geeky and hermits and withdrawn, that four-eyed 98-pound weakling that gets sand kicked in his face at the beach by the big (laughs) bully that's who the gifted are. And we pay attention to those who reinforce the stereotype for us. And we disregard as being gifted those who don't fit that stereotype. For example, I, I, I hate the New England Patriots. I, and now I hate the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because I hate Tom Brady. And Tom <laughs> Brady, as a six-time Super Bowl champion, seven-time player. I mean, you have to be gifted with leadership ability, with problem-solving ability, even with the perceptual and physical gifts to be able to be as successful as he has been in the realm of football. But people say, but that's not gifted because they they don't recognize that superior performance in the same way that reinforces the Sheldon Cooper idea of giftedness. That's the problem. And so we know from research that gifted kids, when surveys are taken that assess other kids' perception of the gifted kid in the classroom, they are in general more popular. They are the leaders in the classroom. They are the kid the other kids want to work with, and not just because they do the work well, but because they're popular kids. But we don't always attribute that giftedness to those kids who are popular, well-liked, gregarious. Um, We tend to focus on that kid who really is a gifted kid, but also manifests those negative characteristics that stereotype gifted. Um, Lewis Terman was a researcher who basically brought to America from France a test that he turned into the Stanford Binet IQ test. He studied one, excuse me, 1,258 gifted kids, 10, 11, 12-year-olds in their 
those years, their adolescence, young adulthood, tracked them into their advanced, his successors tracked them into their advanced years. And what he found was on every measure, not just physical, not just intellectual, but social, gifted individuals tend to be better than the average person on every character, every variable he measured. Longevity, job satisfaction, marital stability, career status. It's good news to be gifted. And the stereotype is what gets in the way of that. And so when it reinforces our stereotype with Sheldon Cooper or Raj or Howard, we pay attention to that. And it, it, it cements that notion. That's who the gifted are. And I love the Big Bang Theory. I really do. But, <laughs> you know, we used to have MacGyver. <laughs> we used to have Doogie Hauser. We've lost those characters that show giftedness in a broader way. Wow. You said so many things that I was just having like so many thoughts. <laughs> like I was, I honestly felt a little like, what's the word? Like I felt almost guilty in a way because I feel like my whole life, I feel like this stereotype, that's what I've seen in like movies and TV. And like you said, like, that's, that's what we see. I never would have thought about Tom Brady in that light that you just painted him in. I mean, that's, it's like a shift. It's like people have to completely shift and not just think of that stereotype when they think of gifted children. Wow. And that's the problem teachers face because without the benefit of having learned a different way of looking at who this population is comprised of, they aren't looking for a Tom Brady to refer him to the gifted program or a her, especially if they're from an underrepresented population. They just Mm -hmm. don't make that leap that's necessary to break away from that stereotype. That is so, so true. All right. What about this one? Gifted learners tend to excel in all academic areas. Myth or truth? A little of both. Um, In truth, again, looking at the research of Terman and others, and, and the fact that most programs for gifted students focus on academics, because that in edu- formal education, that's what our prime directive is, that they, they do well in all academic areas. But that isn't always a good thing, because often the ceiling is so low, they're acing the test, but they're not growing, they're not learning. It's stuff they already knew, knew how to do, and they're replicating stuff. They're really not growing. Um, so in general, uh, they do excel in all areas. The problem is that we can't paint with that broader brush because there are areas of of relative strength and weakness that show up. I've been, I've had the pleasure and the honor of being able to work in two school districts that had a program option that included an all-day self-contained program for highly gifted kids. Their entire curriculum was radically accelerated and, and they, the qualification or eligibility criteria were quite rigorous. To be in that class, they had to have high, high scores. But academically in the classroom, day in and day out, they might be absolutely stellar in reading, but the math is a struggle. And so Uh, Unfortunately, they may not be ready to tackle the rigor of all subjects at the same level. So there's some unevenness that emerges in our kids. The problem is not with the kid. 
the problems with the, the adult expectations that you're supposed to be good in everything. Well, you're not. You're not supposed to be anything. But if you if you're typical, you've got some relative weaknesses that have to be bolstered. And the tough question is, you may be eligible for that radically accelerated program, but it may not be in your best interest to go into that and struggle in an area that begins to make you question whether or not you're really gifted or not. Mm. You want to find the best fit for what you're ready to take on, but not have it be overwhelming. Very. That's making me think of like how um, gifted children then don't know what to do when they don't succeed at something. If they do enter that accelerated program, it, they may be able to do it. I don't know, but it might impact them negatively in other ways. And then they don't know what to do when they're not doing as well as they thought they were going to do. And interesting. And that, that can be a problem because I've always said to parents, you want your child to fail early. What? You want my child to fail? Kids have to experience failure. The kids who are, who are under-challenged, K-12 or pre-K-12, who never get the benefit of an opportunity to take on a rigorous, challenging course are the ones who, when they get to college, they crash, burn, and die because they've never figured out how to work around the problem. They've got to experience some frustration, but it's got to be frustration that they can eventually succeed at, that it isn't just an automatic Oh, that productive struggle kind of. Yes, exactly. Uh, I see this a lot in the school that I'm currently working for. It's a virtual private school that specializes in, in gifted children. And often when we get kids that come to us that are new to the school and they get their first um, progress report, a report card, we don't like to harp on grades, but we will, you know, highlight their strengths and weaknesses. And there are always areas that we can grow. And if you don't have areas that you can grow in, then I'm not doing my job as a teacher to challenge you. Right. And so these parents get so upset because they have never had their child not ace every single thing. And it is so hard to get these parents to understand that your child has to be okay with failing sometimes that we learn through failure, how to adapt your mindset when you are struggling and being able to see the beauty that comes from struggling. Um, that's just uh, something that I struggle with every single year, especially when we have new families come in because they're just not used to not being the creme de la creme. You know what I mean? Not that they aren't, but they're not used to being challenged. Exactly. And the other thing too is often... From the student's perspective, if they don't ace everything, then their identity as a gifted child is being threatened. Yes. Begin to say, see, I told you I'm not gifted. Instead of recognizing that everybody goes through periods of challenge and you, you work to overcome it. You have that task commitment to meet the goals, the objectives of learning. And yeah, especially in the... Um, issue of being a, a, a little fish in a big pond or a big fish in a little pond does come into play with this. But the, the goal is to find the best setting where the greatest amount of success can be realized that still leads to growth. Mm, and it's just so important for them to learn at an early age to get that validation from yes. yourself and being proud of the work that you've done and how it feels to overcome a struggle rather than getting the validation from the marks on a report card that you've, or a project that you've done. 
Rick, can you talk to us a little bit about how asynchronous development is related to giftedness? Absolutely. Um, personally, I, I think it's the one of the two essential elements about giftedness, especially when it comes to recognizing it in individuals, particularly children. Um, asynchronous development is a term coined by Linda Silverman and her associates that basically say it's, it's the derivation of the term is a absent of sin, same chronos time, think lip sync or Milli Vanilli, uh, maybe not. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, these are kids who are out of step with the anticipated normal developmental milestones and Linda Silverman defined it in terms of these are kids who have advanced cognitive abilities and heightened intensity and intensity and complexity go together with these kids. And the higher the intellectual capacity, the greater the asynchrony, the greater they are out of step with themselves and with others. We take our infants to the pediatrician and we start looking for those milestones of you know, when do you roll over? When does your first word come along? When does the first tooth come in? And we have these norms of expectation. And the gifted individuals, those kids don't always meet the norms. They tend to be higher, taller, heavier, stronger. Again, good news to be gifted on these variables. But then what happens is as they grow and develop, it's not even in the sense that they may be verbally and linguistically incredibly strong. And as an eight-year-old, they talk and read and write like a 12-year-old. But then their younger sibling breaks apart their Lego Millennium Falcon, and there is a meltdown like a four-year-old throwing a tantrum. The, the asynchronous development magnifies this in gifted kids. And the spread is so wide that it keeps us as parents and teachers off balance because those horrible words that come out of people's mouths and, and I thought you were gifted mm. because, oh, they're held, because they're being held to the standard of that highest level of performance without recognizing that there's a whole range of other aspects to this. And, and the difficulty comes up when they really aren't able to um, be themselves. And, and they're held to that standard of they're always going to have the right answer. They're always going to be the gifted kid. Not necessarily so. It's, it's a tough thing to take into account. And it's, again, often what leads people, the child, him or herself, or someone in the child's world who says, you, you were supposed to be gifted. Why can't you do that? That's a lot of pressure to put on a child and a lot for them to be holding on to and carrying like yes. of that fear of, okay, if I slip up and, and act in a certain way that is supposedly not how I was supposed to act in that situation. That's just a lot of, a lot of responsibility and probably a, it's probably like a struggle with their self-worth. Yes, absolutely. A great deal of anxiety goes along with, and I like the way to carrying that load. It is a load. Um, I just very briefly, I subscribe wholeheartedly to the, the idea that Francois Gagné set forth in his work that giftedness is developmental, that giftedness is about potential 
and performances in the realm of talent in the field and in the general population. It drives me nuts, particularly within the field. We can't even agree on the terminology. Some people use gifted for gifted and, and, and others use talent for gifted and others say, no, you're, you're talented, but you perform at a gifted level. We can't even get our language right. Mm, it's, no wonder, <laughs> it's no wonder the general population is puzzled and why policymakers are so reluctant to do more for gifted kids, especially outside of North Carolina. We're lucky in North Carolina to have strong legislation and support. Yes. But it is confusing to people when we can't even get our vocabulary right. But Francois Gagné talked about gifted being a matter of development. You're born with the same attributes all human beings share, intellectual, creative, interpersonal, even physical attributes of strength and coordination and endurance. You've got muscle control and coordination. All human beings share these things. Gifted individuals are born with a double dose, more of it. And that's what calls them to our attention, that they have a greater ability to reason, to problem solve, to think abstractly. And that can translate into talented performance at an extraordinary level. But it doesn't happen automatically. It's not the cannonball theory, which says Mm -hmm. when when at conception, the trajectory is set and you can no more change it than you could stand at the muzzle of a cannon, catch the cannonball and divert it. That's not how it works. A number of things come into play with opportunities, resources, encouragement that make a difference in that talent being developed. Giftedness is about potential and measuring with academic achievement tests and intellectual aptitude tests can give us an idea of what that potential may be but we've got to work harder to make that real. Uh, but that's how they, that's how they, uh, the difference is. And people will rankle at the notion of saying you're born gifted. But the truth of the matter is those attributes endowed at a higher level with greater capacity for performance, that's what giftedness is. But it's only potential. And bottom line that I, I want to emphasize for parents is it doesn't mean you're better than other people. Mm. It means you're better at. You are not a better human being just because of that. Beautiful sentence. I like the way you said that. And did you want to speak to, I feel like you've done such a great job just kind of giving characteristics already, but were there any specific students profiles that you wanted to speak to? I'll talk about two kids in particular. Um, And over the years, I have named names only because of the media being aware of these youngsters, um, newspaper, television reports. But going back quite a few years now, um, I've had two once-in-a-lifetime kids. I had one youngster who was um, I was introduced to when he was three, entered our school system when he was five, but didn't start in kindergarten, started in a third grade, highly gifted classroom Whoa! because a psychologist working with the family to help support them gave a Binet form LM IQ test that measured this youngster's IQ at 235. 
when he started in the program, much of the curriculum was okay for him, but he had to have a tutor in math because he was finishing pre-algebra and starting algebra one at the age of five. And do you know an average IQ score? 100. Wow. He was one in a million, literally. Wow. And statistically speaking, one in a million. The other kids in the class were basically one in 10,000. He was, he exhausted the adult scales on the Binet LM, answering questions that were designed for adults. Those tests don't do that anymore. In fact, the tests don't even try to measure above 160. But at the time, the psychologist being very knowledgeable about giftedness gave the test in a way that he could keep going until he stopped answering questions correctly. And when that happened, but my main story about him, he, he, he went to middle school, uh, went to high school at age, he skipped middle school. He went to high school at the age of eight, went to Wake Forest University at the age of 13. He was accelerated and needed that opportunity. But when I was the first year he was in school, I had to call his mom and say, we have a problem. The boys are bullying him because he's wearing what I call pool shoes to school, the thin rubber sole, colorful canvas slip-on shoes you wear to the beach or the pool. And all the third grade boys were about their Nikes and their Adidas and their New Balance and mocking him for his shoes. And so I called say, you know, trying to make life better for this young guy who was three, sometimes four years younger than those kids in the class, called his mom and she said, I know it was the best I could do. He wanted to wear his bedroom slippers to school. Oh. And I said, why? And she said, because he can't tie his shoes. Mm -hmm. Now, for a five-year-old boy not yet to have mastered the fine motor skills of lacing up and tying shoes is not rare. It's not unusual. But this is a kid who's doing pre-algebra. How can those two things go together? That, to me, is the essence of asynchronous development. Yes, 100%. It's so funny that you tell this story because just this past weekend, I was trying to calm a mom down because her son is technically in first grade, but I mean, he's doing long division and so excelled in math, but he can't tie his shoes. And she was like, this is just outrageous. And, you know, was upset. And I was like, it's okay. He's going to tie his shoes whenever life puts him in a position where he needs to do it. He's going to figure it out. (laughs) Absolutely. And now you've got a term to give her for that. Mm -hmm. There is, there is such a thing and he's not abnormal. Uh, the other one that is a little bit, it, it is a little bit different is um, I was working with a youngster in our district who was the youngest at the age of 10 to ever get a perfect score on the SAT at the time. Uh, this is going back a few years ago. Uh, but the thing about this youngster was he was so good at so many things, academically successful, popular soccer player, violin player. Um, when he went to college, he went to Harvard and MIT um, together. And, uh, but he had a roommate who was a fine arts major, voice, and was going to go to an audition for a symphony in Boston, with Boston Symphony, and um, asked my friend to go along with him to keep him from getting too nervous because they were having open auditions and he was going to audition for the chorale. Well, they got down to Boston Symphony Hall, got in line, walked through, it's time for the 
roommate to sign up. He did, and, and my young friend recognized it. But this is open auditions. Anybody could try out. Well, from his violin experience and reading music and being able to sight read music, you're probably way ahead of me. He got accepted and his oh roommate did not. And you want to say, how much is too much? And sometimes our kids are so good at so many things, it becomes a matter of resentment. People mm. are upset that those who have so much have so much more. And it becomes an issue for gifted kids as far as expectations. But sometimes they really are good at everything. They've just got a Midas touch and everything is good for them. Wow. I'm just thinking about the impact on friendships. Like, geez. So not even thinking about like the whole school side of things, just thinking about interacting with people and knowing how to talk to people and people accepting you and not, like you said, resenting. Like, that's just, I just feel like this is just adding to what so many people think of giftedness and what they don't know. Yes. Absolutely. And interestingly enough, the the resentment rarely comes from peers. It more frequently comes from teachers who want to put the student down and engage in a battle of wits when they're really not, um, they're not in a position to do that. That teacher gets defensive. I know more about this subject than you do when in Mm -hmm. fact the student knows more than the teacher, but the teacher resents that instead of celebrating it. Mm, that's truth. That's very true. All right. Our interview with Rick went a little bit longer than intended because he just had so many beautiful things to share and so many amazing insights. So we've decided to split his interview into two separate episodes. So to continue to learn more from Rick and to learn more about the myths that face the gifted community, please take a listen to the next episode. Enjoy!